Okay, so I'm live here with another live stream uh, that's going to go into a series on enterprise ML ops, and I'm uh, here with uh, is it is it Maxime Data David? Is that correct? Yeah, Max. You can call me Max. That's Max. Me. Okay, great. And uh, I think where we connected earlier was you had published a really interesting uh, analysis of the uh, the startup time for Lambda. And so I'm I'm huge fan of AWS Lambda, but I'm also a huge fan of thinking about the future in terms of what are some optimizations that we can do for performance. And so um, that's how we really connected. And then I thought, hey, let's just talk a little bit about Rust in particular. And and yeah, maybe you can start off by giving people your background. Sure. And then maybe talk a little bit about what led you to you know, create, create that chart, which is a really cool chart. Yeah, definitely. So hi, my name is Max. Uh, I'm uh, living, I'm living in, in Montreal, in, in Quebec, in Canada. Uh, I, I, I'm a French guy, as you can hear by my French accent, but I try to get better. So I hope this won't uh, cause much trouble. Uh, so yeah, I work as a software engineer in the serverless team at Datadog. Uh, Datadog is a monitoring company and uh, our main focus is in Lambda. So I use uh, AWS Lambda uh, a lot. And I was trying to, on my free time, to uh, to benchmark some uh, runtimes. Like we know that when the Lambda function is starting, we have this cold start time, which is time that customer and users are, are paying for obviously nothing because it's just the time that a function takes to to wake up. And there are a lot of different blogs uh, where you can see that Node.js is more performant than Python and, and so on. But all of those blogs, I found that uh, it's kind of uh, outdated because it's done at one specific time. And then like maybe three months later, AWS has made some very good uh, performance improvements depending on the runtime. So I was thinking about, oh, maybe I can create a bot which deploys overnight one hello world, simple, very simple function um, to AWS uh, uh, infrastructure and then ping them uh, 10 times as a cold start and then grab the uh, init time duration uh, do a mean, uh, an average, and just display the results. So overnight, every night of every day, uh, you have like live benchmark of uh, every every runtime. So that's why I built the tool. Um, ah, okay. So so you're you're even continuing to to up up update this tool. So it's it's a real time, you know, performance indicator across multiple exactly. languages. Yeah, and um, someone uh, who, who, who Tim who wrote uh, Rust in Action. Uh, was um, uh, showcase my was showcasing my tool uh, I think on Tuesday on on Twitter and this tweet went a, a bit viral so I have a lot of uh, stars and open issue already on the repo so they asked for a uh, support for Dart uh, for like Java um, AOT and so maybe Quarkus and GraalVM as well so yeah I guess I have uh, I have to update uh, for new runtimes uh, on, wow. on a rolling basis so that's that's kind of exciting. Yeah, and and what I'll do is when I publish this to other places, I'll put a link to the real to, to both your GitHub, um, you know, project and yeah. also the 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 URL where people can take a look at it. Yeah, thanks for saying that because yeah, the, the main point of this project, of course, is to 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 detect a cold saturation across all runtimes, but it also show how to use serverless for a real use case. Uh, this is uh, this is done only uh, thanks to serverless technologies, and uh, it's open source. And because when you do benchmark, of course, you want to see the code. What are you actually benchmarking uh, for uh, Node.js? Writing a hello world uh, is like there's almost only one way to do that. But maybe for Rust or Dart, there's some different libraries that I could use. Uh, so everything is super transparent, so everyone can have a look at uh, what I'm doing and how, how it's working. Uh, if you want to fork it, create some PRs, uh, contribution are very welcomed. Great. And, and I guess what's kind of fun about with Copilot now, once you get some traction with, you know, three or four languages, then uh, if you want to translate, there's the, the Copilot um, Labs tool. Have you played with that? Actually, I, I, I'm more into GPT-3, uh, but... Uh, 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 it it was kind of a long run project that I've been thinking for a long time, uh, even before joining Datadog, actually. And uh, so I did. I, I I use my own skills ah, to code it. Nice. But definitely, if I want to to create like a Dart Lambda function, I know nothing about Dart. So I may I may ask for some help for a, either a Copilot or a GPT three for for sure. Nice. Yeah, and I think maybe we should summarize then what what we're 
what did you learn by doing this? Like, it, it sounds like there are some unique properties to, to Rust. Is that what yeah. you summarize to people? Yeah, definitely. So Rust is our, our uh, award winner uh, over the, over, uh, since the beginning of, of the tool. Uh, maybe it will change with AOT of Java, GraalVM, maybe uh, on Quarkus, Quarkus and GraalVM, sorry. But yeah, for now, Rust is, the great thing about Rust, it's, it's a compiled language, of course, and the binary is super small. And I found that there is a strong correlation between the size of the binary or the dependencies and the cold start. So mm. as long as you keep your binary or your dependency very, very small, um, it takes it will take less time to to boot uh, to, to 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 start a new lambda function. So the call start will be very small. So obviously, if you're doing using a lot of SDK or, uh, from different um, uh, companies, your call start will increase. And as long as your binary is really really small, which is a case for Rust, uh, I don't have the number in in mind, but uh, you can you can check on, on GitHub once again. Uh, this uh, will um, impact the cold start in a good way. Uh, so, hmm. uh, and and it, I was playing around actually just a few days ago with the ARM um, uh, version as well, and it, it my my experience has been it's it's very simple. I don't know if you played around with the the Rust uh, Cargo Lambda project. I think it's somebody from AWS where yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty easy to 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 deploy a Lambda, and you can deploy you know, ARM as well? Yeah, that's a very good question. Actually, I'm a new YouTube uh, creator, so I have uh, my own uh, YouTube channel, and I posted my very first video like three months ago about how to deploy uh, AWS Lambda Rust in wow. AWS. And I got a comment from, I think his name is David, uh, who is currently supporting AWS Cargo Lambda. Uh, so yeah, I think it's someone from AWS. And yeah, it's really, really easy to, 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 to boot a new Lambda function. You can even... Um, test it locally, uh, thanks to very, very handy commands. Uh, so yeah, this tool is great. And I've not tried uh, deploying that with RLM, but it's definitely on my radar. Uh, I need to, 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 to deploy that. And for now, uh, the tool is only targeting US East 1, but definitely I, I should do that on a, at least one or two other regions, uh, availability zone, just to make sure that the latency does not, uh, is not taken in account or is taken in account. I, I'm not sure. So maybe that benchmark would be useful as well. Yeah, that's yeah. The I, I had zero issues with ARM, and it was, it was the other thing that's interesting about Rust is that when you when you when you deploy to AWS Lambda, the speed is just just so fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's and and I think what what I really wonder about is that you know as someone who's used Python for decades, is that I think the idea that you should use one tool for everything or that, you know, whatever worked in the past will work in the future, I think are very bad strategies for, for software engineering. I think it's important to, to be thoughtful about the, the fact that things always change. Like a, a really good example is the, um, the, the automobiles of the 1970s or the 1980s. Like I've, I've been in, like a 1970 Ford Mustang, for example, my friend in high school had one and it was really interesting. Like, I mean, it has like three speed and, you know, it would peel all the, you know, it would, the tires would, would, would smoke, you know, all through each three gears and everything. But you, you don't necessarily want to take a 1970 Ford Mustang and then make it an EV vehicle. Right. Yeah. Like, so, so I think with Python in, in particular, I think this idea that a 30 year old language is going to always be the right choice is, is just, I think, a bad uh, strategy. And I think when, what happens with software engineers is, is a lot of times you feel comfortable because that's what's popular now. It's like, oh, look, Python is popular now. Like, it's great. And, and then if you even bring up things like, well, wait a second, you know, Python is the most energy inefficient language, or at least close to the most energy inefficient language like ever created that's right that couldn't we try something better right like like more of like just a hypothetical uh so i don't know what, what are your thoughts on, on um you know basically like future and, and how do you think rust do you think could play a role yeah um i think more and more people are adopting aws because it's super easy to use and uh, super fast to deploy but one drawback that we've read a lot of on blog posts is this init call start duration 
because why not deploying your whole infrastructure on AWS? For some use case, it does make sense. And for some, maybe not. But with REST, I believe that this, uh, this um, inconvenience about cold start time is disappearing. So AWS is, is, is AWS Lambda is, is great and REST is great for that. And what I believe also is if a Lambda fails, like obviously if soft, software fails, that's not, that's not good. But it's even more uh, true for AWS Lambda. And I believe that using REST, which is very strongly typed, very the compiler is great. You have a lot of guarantee at compile time. At compile time, uh, I think it's safer to use such language for AWS Lambda because usually you deploy like maybe a 20 line or 30 line, maybe 100 line Lambda function, and it should be very uh, serve only one goal and by using like a very strong static checker to check whether or not your code is working. I believe Rust is really excelling in, in, in that. So I believe Rust is, uh, is, is very good use case for AWS Lambda. And I think the tooling, uh, we, we talk about AWS um, uh, Cargo Lambda, sorry. It's a great tool and I've read uh, a lot of um, uh, free resources to learn Rust, to learn Rust on AWS Lambda. So um, I, 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 I'm not sure how it will go uh, over the long run, but I, I strongly believe that it's it's the right balance between like very um, hard to code like C, because obviously if you deploy a Lambda function in C, it it's, might be even more performance, but no one wants to, uh, not no one, but uh, yeah. not a lot of people wants to and maintain and unit test and deploy C code anymore. So I believe that Rust is the right balance between uh, performance, uh, it's obviously the, the learning learning curve is a bit uh, stepier, but uh, yeah, I, I, I believe Rust is a, is a good choice for AWS Lambda. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like you know, just forgetting any do any other domains, but that one of the things that's fascinating about AWS is that there's a new way of developing software, and if you were using, let's say, Ruby on Rails or Django or these these like object relational mapper style, you know, solutions that they had a, a, a you know a period of, of in the history where they were very very successful. And you know, the the author of Ruby on Rails just recently talked about you know switching from AWS. And what what I I mean, I, first of all, I respect the dhh quite a bit i mean he's a you know runs a successful business very talented software engineer i like his business advice i think a very interesting and talented and successful person i th i think if you 100 percent listen to but i can't always agree with 100 percent of everything even a talented person says and i would say that when he talks about moving from you know the cloud to a physical data center and then he he showed the the relational database bill the, you know uh, the very first thing that comes to mind is well do you need the relational database to be used that much because if you didn't use an object relational mapper and you maybe tried some cloud native techniques or you know rearchitected things and even used a language like rust i don't think you would even care about the server cost. And yeah. so I, I think I think this is a, a very interesting dilemma is that as we move into new technologies and new platforms, that you know, people may have to make tough decisions about, yeah. you know, and should I do, do do new things? Yeah. And your uh, your example is great. Uh, you talked about Ruby and the latest supported runtime by uh, by AWS Lambda is uh, for Ruby is 2.7. And obviously we are way uh, <laughs> Like upper than than two point seven version, so we could guess that AWS Lambda is uh, not betting on Rust on uh, Ruby, sorry anymore. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not uh, not working at AWS, but like the latest supported runtime for Ruby is two point seven, and I think we are like uh, version three dot. I'm not sure. I'm not a Ruby expert, but it tells a lot about uh, what would be the strategy and. Uh, um, yeah, I guess uh, I'm not saying that writing uh, Ruby on Lambda is a bad idea, but obviously the runtime support is not uh, up to date yet, and it makes uh, it makes more sense maybe to switch to a compiled and very performance uh, language. Of course, it depends on the use case. If you don't need that uh, performance, maybe there is no way 
uh, no need to, to do that. But if you're looking for a strong performance, yeah, I would advocate for rest. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I think one of what you brought up earlier, one of the things that's interesting about rest is that, you know, I have actually personally programmed in C and I wrote commercial software and mo mostly objective C, but, but I, I got paid, like I got paid to, to develop my own um, applications and I really am not a fan of C. <laughs> I, I, don't, I didn't enjoy it. Like, I think it's, it's very unpleasant. Uh, personally, I think there's people that are obviously really good at it and they enjoy it. But if you look at a language like Rust, or it's so different than C or C++, in my opinion, because it's a lot more like a Python because it, it, is, it is concise. It has modern, you know, techniques like, immutable variables for example is amazing right, right? and then the, the 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 ecosystem as well is in my opinion better than python because with python i typically what i do is i i install a linter i install a formatter i install all these tools and then the packaging there's always at least two ways to do it maybe three four ways to do it yeah. but if you just install rust up you get everything <laughs> and 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 the tools are in my opinion so much better than python tools because of the fact that it's a new technology yeah innovation right like if you look at if you look at um again we go to the 1970s ford mustang like at the time like you know a four barrel carburetor was amazing right like oh this is awesome my car is so fast but but now people they don't want to burn gas as fast as they can they yeah. want to they want to burn no gas yeah. right and i think it's a similar thing is that when you use something like Rust and you realize that a lot of the problems you face in production are the packaging, the performance, and also the safety. Yeah, and yeah, and speaking about safety, I I believe that by learning Rust, uh, I, I believe that everyone should at least learn the basic of Rust because I feel that it makes you like a better developer because you're really understanding what's happening. Uh, I, I'm sure you can relate, but when we start. Uh, uh, learning Rust, like the compiler is extremely verbose. It does not let you uh, anything. So uh, if you were like spawning a new thread and trying to pass a variable into that thread, it won't work. And then you're like, oh yeah, uh, actually that makes sense because it does not make sense to do that. And actually it, 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 it's kind of sad to think about, oh yeah, I, I had to wait for uh, maybe 10 years to uh, actually realize what's happening downside on the stack when you create a new uh, uh, thread and you pass in memory or like it, it, you really need to, to, to think about uh, who owns what, the borrow checker, the immutability that you, you talked about. I think those are great concepts. And when you start to think about that, I think it makes you a, a better developer. I don't know if you would agree with that, but yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree because the, you know, there, there's like a difficulty versus, um, outcome relationship where y y the ideal scenario is that you you have enough difficulty that you get a reward for it and you see this for life like if you want to get in really good physical condition you unfortunately you can't do only low um, intensity exercise excuse me so you can't you can't just do low intensity exercise because there's different um, energy pathways in the body. So the the anaerobic pathways in your body don't get triggered if you're just walking, right? Like walking is great, but if you want to let's say lower your resting heart rate significantly and get benefits for you know some of the ana uh, anaerobic benefits of exercise, you have to actually go at close to 100 percent and there's there's a lot of research that shows this same with exercise with with uh, weights so if you if you lift only like 10 pound dumbbells and you're just doing you know lo lots of weights it might be good for just flexibility or something like that but you don't build any strength because you have to go at a, at a high high enough intensity yeah on the flip side if you just torture yourself constantly and just you're 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 going at 100 percent every day your body will just be destroyed, right? So there's like a balance between 
yeah. some suffering and some difficulty and intensity and then the right outcome. So the same with programming, you know, you could make the argument that maybe C++ is the suffering for many people is, is not helpful, like for, for what they get out of it. Like maybe there are some people that do enjoy it, but Rust is right in the middle where you're right. Like, you know, the compiler is, is, is telling you a lot of things that maybe initially makes you upset, but then what you realize is actually I should be upset. Yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, you, you could not summarize it better. What, what I was thinking that this is exactly it. Yeah. And the, another thing that's interesting is staying on the Lambda topic. One of the topics that I'm very, very interested in because of the size of the binaries of Rust is, is could you even replace containers for some scenarios? Because, for example, you know, uh, Lambda is written in Rust, correct? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that. Uh, yeah, it I, is. So, I, so, so Lambda is Rust. So basically it is running the Firecracker VM, which is, uh, you know, you can just go to GitHub and look at it and, 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 and it's, that's, cool. that's it. <laughs> like it's, it, it, but, but the, the idea that you always need to use a container, I mean, there, there's some nice things about containers, but container adds uh, some le level of abstraction yeah. and some, some, you know, additional performance hits. Now for a language like Python, you really have no choice. I mean, because of the fact that it's an interpreted language, deploying Python without a container is very scary. Mm -hmm. Very scary <laughs> because the, the, the complexity of getting the packaging right without, you know, a container is almost impossible. Repeatedly. Yeah. I mean, people can do it, but you have to use lots of very inefficient tools. But if you think about Rust, you, you, in many scenarios, may even consider not using a container, especially with something like Lambda, because you're like, wait, I have everything in the binary. Why, why would I also add a container? Yeah, you would need to be very careful to the target uh, uh, architecture, because yeah. uh, obviously, if you, if you build for x86 and you're running on IRM, this won't work. But yeah, uh, besides that, I won't see any downside of uh, using a binary. Maybe containerizing your application is useful when you do like local development, thanks to the Lambda emulator runtime, which mm -hmm. is like a container provided by the AWS team to emulate the uh, Lambda API runtime, uh, you slash next, slash invocation, response, slash errors. So um, by having a container, maybe it will ease the development, but I, I believe that we tend to, because for, when you're using the cloud, uh, people tend to like, having locally everything, but maybe we should start to, to think about like, maybe an another availability zone is uh, your sandbox. Uh, mm -hmm. Instead of doing like local testing on your machine, trying to replicate S3, DynamoDB, like in with test container or something, maybe you should try it directly uh, online. Like put that on the cloud, uh, on the cloud, on the sandbox account. And this is your dev environment because um, we usually say that development and production environment should be uh, very similar. So if you're trying to debug and test locally, maybe that's faster, but you may uh, not find some critical issue that you will encounter on the cloud because um, obviously Lambda runtime is very different on the cloud and, um, from that uh, provided container. So it has some difference. Yeah, it's an, I, I, I prefer to develop I mean, more towards the cloud-based development environment. So I, I do like AWS Cloud9. Have you played with that at all? Not yet, no. Yeah, it, it's pretty good. It's it's basically similar to what you're saying where you can actually get the a very close to production environment because it's using Amazon Linux. The SDK is already installed and it is role-based as well. So whatever role you launch the... the um, the uh, the cloud nine uh, account into it'll assume that role so it, it, it has some it has some very strong benefits and then because you're able to uh, be in the same data center right the the deploy speed yeah which something is fast like very yeah. fast right so it, to your point I think that's one the other one I use I like to use a lot is um, is GitHub Code Spaces mm -hmm. because Code Spaces it, it, I guess the biggest benefit to me is that I'm now hooked on the Copilot 
uh, tool. I, I, I almost can't write software now without it because I yeah. find it so useful. Yeah. And it's also benefits as a team. Like if you're like, uh, if you're in your team, there are a lot of different contributors by having code space or at least some other shared environments, development environment, you're sure that on day one, someone who comes to your team can be uh, super effective on day one. Uh, so yeah, this is a very interesting concept. Uh, I definitely agree that as soon as you have to install yourself, you uh, CLI, you uh, build tools, uh, it's it's not convenient for another team member to join and, oh, which version are you using? Or, I have a bug in my machine, but it's not on the cloud. So uh, the, the famous uh, sentence like, oh, it's work on localhost, but not on the cloud. Uh, if you're starting to build directly on the cloud, it's also very useful for your CI CD pipeline because uh, obviously you need a very strong CI CD to be able to uh, reduce the time between you're typing a line of code and you, you'll be able to test it like on the cloud. Um, so yeah, we we sometimes underestimate the power of the CI CD. And I believe this is really, really important when you when, when you want to make fast and efficient uh, development. Yeah, and I, I agree with you that the CI CD is is a topic that that sometimes people don't totally understand. And you know so I, I've been teaching part-time for the last several years at uh, universities. Uh, mostly I teach now at, at Duke. And sometimes I'll have a person who has no experience with, you know, being a software engineer. If I teach CICD, it's very common for students to say, why are we learning this? Yeah. And, and what I what I say to them is that because this is exactly what you have to do on your first day at work. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like any any professional software engineer if you don't know how the CI/CD pipeline works, it, you're you're going to be you're not going to be successful. Yeah, and the number of uh, errors or linting errors uh, that the CI uh, could 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 stop from from uh, from, from you to, to do it, it's unbelievable the value of CI um, CD of course also, but CI is is yeah you're right it's it's super important if you if you don't have CI and you build like locally in your machine like upload. Uh, uh, I don't know, a layer or like a Lambda function like on the AWS UI, uh, it, it it definitely won't scale. So uh, yeah, be sure. Yeah, that would be my advice. Be sure to invest on your CI and CD like as soon as possible. Like maybe if you want to, 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 to try to build an AWS Lambda function in Rust, maybe start by CI, CD, write a just small hello world Lambda function with no permission, just deploy it and once you have your CI CD, then you can start implementing your uh, your business logic. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, the, 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 that that's the that's the right way, and it's similar to the concept of the compiler, because you know that I think a lot of times people mistake progress for uh, moving in the right direction. So, so if you temporary temporarily make uh, false progress, it feels good, like. Look, I'm programming in Python. This is wonderful. Yeah. But but then to your point, like if you all of a sudden realize that, wait a second, my code, even though it runs, it's a ticking time bomb because I have redeclared variables or you know, I have like multi-threaded issues or, or whatever it is I have in here. And in fact, it, it would never pass CI C D as well. Yeah. So you're you, you it looks like you're successful, but it's actually a fake success. Yeah. And if you stop your project and you are you are resume it like two months later, you're like, wow, where are my source file? Like it's a twelve factor application. Uh, it's it's CI/CD is one of them, I guess. I hope I'm a big big fan of twelve factor. Maybe there are some more, uh, but uh, um, yeah, it's part of that, and I believe that uh, it's a very strong base for uh, software development. Yeah. Yeah. So so the other thing that that I was going to bring up about. Um... The, the, uh, the small binary size is that one of the emerging issues in the uh, machine learning operations space is that there, there's a bunch of new standards starting to, to come about. Like in one of the things that I've seen quite a bit is that people want to deploy pre-trained models. And so maybe they have a hugging face pre-trained model or they have, there's a format called Onyx. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, that. To be honest, I'm, I'm very far from machine learning. Like uh, it's, it's not my field. Uh, I really like it, but I'm total noob uh, in, in that yeah. field. Well, what, 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 is, what I think is interesting though is that 
I believe that what's going to happen in 2023 and 2024 is that more people with your background, like who are software engineers, that they're going to take on a lot more machine learning tasks because I think the, the delta between someone with your background being able to deploy a machine learning model versus someone who is a data scientist is, is like night and day. You, the, the, because the skills you have are much more suited, in mm -hmm. my opinion, towards making production machine learning systems. Because if you, let's just take the, the, the conversation we had, where if you want to have very tiny binary with fast startup time for Lambda, that's exactly the problem that people want to solve for MLOps, right? Like operationalizing machine learning is they want a very tiny pre-trained model that if, if possible, as tiny as it can be, and, and maybe it's only batch or it's event-based, and, and there are very tiny models. Like you don't always have to use the most powerful model. You can use some that are maybe, maybe like a little bit smaller than usual. And it, as we get better and better formats that can shrink the size, I think solutions like Lambda could actually make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's an area that I'm very interested in because I, I feel like there, there's a couple different targets that Rusk could hit. Like one of them is Lambda. I think people could be using more uh, Rust-based pre-trained models in Lambda. That's one. And then the second is one of the benefits of Go and Rust is that if you look at some of the really popular new tools, like Hugo is a static website generator. Mm -hmm. I like Hugo. Yeah. But why is it so popular? Because grandpa and grandma can use it. You just download the binary. There's no like do this and click this install and then install yeah. this other. Like, like for example, sometimes when I work with Node, I get so angry because it's been years since I do something with Node and then I have to do something in Node. It's like, oh no, I have to install this install tool, then another install tool. Then, you know, and then it's like two hours later, then finally you get it working. If it's a binary, there's nothing to install. You just pull the binary and you just run it. So similarly with machine learning, I see a huge opportunity for people to do, like you said, CICD, but to do CICD for command line tools that mm -hmm. have embedded yep. the machine learning model. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, and yeah, since you, you're talking about CLI, uh, like Rust is, is a great tool to build CLI as well. Um, so I've, I've built one and it's really easy. There are a lot of different lib uh, to create very simple uh, CLI tool. And uh, it's a perfect use case. It generates binary. You can even embed that in a Docker container if you want. So uh, there is nothing to install. Of course, you, you would need to have Docker, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's powerful as well. Yeah. So so that un, un, and I think that's a, di a very big difference from Node, Ruby, or Python, is that you you can't just give someone like you know your um, CLI.js right yeah. or or your CLI that that. That py unless it uses only the standard library but if it only uses a standard library it's almost useless mm -hmm. so most of the time people have to use an installation tool mm -hmm. and there's competing installation tools but the the really the the innovation in in many ways with go and rust is that basically binaries are now i think potentially once again very popular like people might go hmm why don't i just make binaries and mm -hmm. and just put these packages onto GitHub packages, and then that's how I share my tool. Yeah, the only downside would be a security aspect, uh, because of course, if you have access to the source code, uh, you can inspect it before running it. Uh, if I provide you with a binary, uh, maybe you would be a bit uh, hesitant by running it. So um, I'm still, still a big believer in uh, open source uh, contribution and open source world. So. Yeah, maybe a piece of advice if you uh, want to run a, a binary, make sure either you look at the source and you compile it yourself uh, just to make sure that you know what you run because, uh, yeah. Uh, like yeah, that. that's true. I, I, no, you could make the argument that also the same <laughs> problem exists with, with the interpreted language because sometimes they pull in things and they could have the wrong dependency. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, I, but I think you know, one of the ways that you could solve this problem is that if people can see your build system, right? Like, because you can look inside of open source GitHub project and they can literally see that the binary was 
pushed from GitHub, like, and yep. they can look at the last build. Yep. And they can see the compilation, and then yep. you could even print the checksum. Yep. Right. Of of actually the build, and then you know that that checksum is the same checksum that's yep. actually in the package. Yeah. Yeah, this would require to build from uh, official Docker image and not some yeah. fancy custom-made uh, Docker image because obviously you could tamper with Cargo or uh, to uh, with a building tool. But yeah, I, I do agree. Yeah. But but yeah, in in general, I think there the and even for production, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is that in the old days of Unix and Linux, there was more of a emphasis on. Um, centralized file system. And I, I worked in many environments where we had NFS and there, there would be huge, huge NFS, like petabytes and petabytes of NFS or 100,000 NFS users. For, when I was at Caltech, this was o almost 25 years ago when I was in IT there, they, they had, I think, 50 to 100,000 users just on NFS. Yeah. But th there was that kind of went away with cloud computing. But now we have actually some very sophisticated managed file systems like EFS on, on AWS. And then now the binary again is kind of interesting because, mm -hmm. because if you could, your deploy process could be simplified where you use code build or you use uh, GitHub actions, whatever. And it's literally rsync you, 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 or, or CP or whatever. And you just put the binary on EFS. Yeah. And once it's on EFS, I think it can't Lambda now. I haven't done this. Can it now mount EFS? Uh, I'm not sure because what you can mount, uh, you have to deploy it as a layer and it will be mounted under slash OPT. Uh, I'm not sure you have access to file system or I, yeah. I'm not sure to be honest, but uh, I, I would say no, but uh, this needs to be fact checked. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, but, but it, forget even Lambda for a second. If you did need to use a virtual machine, for example, that because I've done this before, is when the virtual machine starts up, it just mounts EFS. Yeah. And if the binary is in its path, it, and it's maybe your bash RC just sources yeah. you know, that binary. Yeah. That's it. Your deploy process, there's nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. What what you can do with AWS Lambda is to uh, play with LD preload, which is an environment variable uh, where you can like intercept uh, libc calls uh, so you can do like very funny things uh, such as you could replace a uh, uh, random function to return always uh, 42 let's uh, for instance so if you're deploying like a, a node.js lambda function which use maths.random for instance uh, it's likely that the libc uh, call uh, underneath uh, will be triggered and intercepted by this uh, LG preload library, and then rewrite it. So uh, there is a cool create uh, in Rust to to do that as well. Uh, that's oh. that's funny. Yeah, what what is it called again? Is it's uh, it's LG preload. It's uh, like an environment variable where you can uh, set it to a, like a, a S a shared object file. Uh, you can build that in wow. C or in Rust, for instance, and it can intercept uh, uh, libc calls. So of course, if you're using Go. There will be uh, no no such things, but if you're using Node or Python, you can intercept uh, I don't know like uh, open, close, read, write, like those basic uh, C or libc uh, function or uh, yeah. entry points. That's that's funny to do. Yeah, wow, that sounds. Yeah, I think. I mean, the just when you when you start to 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 dig into the interpreted language versus compiled language problem, is that one of the issues that I have currently with Python is that for years and years and years, maybe 15 years, I think, they, they, when, when they were writing Python, when they went from Python 2 to Python 3, I don't know if you're, you are remembering this, but it, but during that time, people actually did ask about the global interpreter lock. They said, hey, you know, maybe, maybe that's a good time to fix it in like 2005 or 2006. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the, the, the consensus was, well, you don't need threads that they're not important. And then another thing that people said was that, Oh, you know, most of the time all code is, is uh, slow because of IO. And, and I think what we're seeing is that's just not true that, that, you know, you're, you're, when you say that you're, you're basically creating a, a fictional reality based on the, the, the capabilities of your language. Oh like yeah. You're just, you're just reverse engineering 
what your language can do and then making reality match it. Yeah, yeah. If you're IO bounded, it means that you've done a great job while coding. But uh, to be honest, like uh, I've been working with profiling tools for, uh, for a long time now. And usually it's due to like string manipulation, wrong data structure, like inefficient sorting methods uh, and uh, in invalid, uh, like uh, useless code to be not lazy loaded and so on. So uh, yeah, if you are IO bounded, that's a good problem to have. I believe this is because like you've optimized everything else and now you have a new issue, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing I think that's interesting about the, the Rust versus Python uh, problem is we, we haven't really talked about it that much, but the energy efficiency uh, issue, which, I mean, the, the proxy is basically CPU time, right? Like, obviously, the more CPU you, you use, the, uh, the more energy you use. And there, you know, there are many organizations that have uh, sustainability targets. Yeah. And I think one of the things that they could, could, could consider is could they replace maybe microservices that are running in production in Python or Ruby in particular with Rust because that would help them meet their sustainability goal? That's, that's a good question. Um, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, that's, that, that's very good. And the, the cool thing about that is sometimes companies um, don't see very, uh, like, it's not that they don't want to reduce the uh, footprint, of course, they all, they all want, but the cool thing about the cloud is you pay as you use. So it's one more in, uh, like, um, uh, one more argument to say, hey, let's try, <laughs> let's try to, to, be, to be reasonable about the resource uh, we use. So uh, obviously everyone should do it, but I believe that since there is uh, money be uh, behind that, I, I think it's a good incentive for companies to, to stop looking at that. Yeah, you're right. And if you look at the, um, the, the data engineering tools that are the new generation, there, there was, there's several different iterations of data engineering tools where Hadoop for a long time was popular, but in my experience, almost no one used Hadoop, right? At companies I worked at, the Hadoop was always broken and then people would just go into a SQL database and just fix some things. Mm -hmm. And then and then the Spark revolution really was helpful because they were able to build on top of Hadoop and make it more useful. And you see like there's commercial products mm -hmm. now that, that do, do manage Spark. But if you look at really kind of dig into the, the architecture, it, it is a very inefficient architecture, which is you have uh, virtual machines just grinding away at like yeah. you know <laughs> sending data back and forth to like storage systems, and 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 then you look at the language on top. It's it's going from Python down to Java, and and, and the whole thing is is seems so inefficient to me based on my experience with it. But then if you look at the modern, the newest forms of data engineering tools a huge percentage of them are either written in Rust or written in Go. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's another area that that could be interesting for, for companies is to to dig into the stack and say, you know, what tools can we replace so that we properly use the cloud? Yeah, right? yeah definitely. And uh, yeah, the, yeah, 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 you, 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 you're totally right. And, and also we, we didn't talk too much about that, but I believe also to, to review code, uh, like for you, you talk about uh, Go, but with Go, I have nothing against Go. I'm, I'm not into like uh, runtime wars. I don't do that. But for instance, in Go, you can spawn two Go routine and write to the exact same data structure. Uh, it's very hard to detect while you're doing like code review because uh, yeah, you can run with dash race and it could detect some potential race condition, but this is not the case for Rust. So you can compile it so the CI won't pass if you are uh, spawning two threads or trying to, to write to the, to the same data structure. So I believe this is one more um, advantage uh, over Go maybe uh, because I know Rust and Go are producing binaries, but this is why maybe I would aim towards Rust because it might be harder to, 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 to develop, but it's maybe easier to review. Uh, you have a lot of very solid static checker. Uh, you, you mentioned REST, uh, REST up. There is also Clippy, Cargo, FMT. Um, there, there's a catching a lot of different errors. And uh, I think using REST is really helpful while reviewing code. Um, you know, if it compiles the big change that it, it won't 
panic at runtime. This is like REST guarantee. Of course, there are some uh, exception using unsafe code or accessing out of bound exception in an array, but there are some some ways to to deal with that. Whereas in Go, I believe it's it's easier to introduce a panic like very subtly in 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 a PR and no one could catch it. And uh, yeah, so that's yeah. That's yeah, I, I I mean I I agree with you. I try not to go too much into like one language versus oh, another. Yeah, yeah. But good. but I I do agree with you that that if I look at Rust code, I look at Go code. I think the Rust is very readable to, to me as well. And I think the style that you're developing in with Rust, because you can trust the compiler so much, it, it really leads towards efficient code. And then also it leads towards, um, you know, like you said, like safety and, and a huge issue right now for companies that are using cloud computing is cybersecurity. And it's, it's almost every day you hear, you know, a new company got hacked and, and, you know, that's another reason why, why organizations, I, I think you, you can't just say, well, we used to do it this way, or the most popular programming language is, is Python. Or I hear sometimes people say, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. If your code is slow, you just mix Python and C, but it's like, well, well, sure you could do that, but why don't you just use one language that has very strong cybersecurity, very so strong performance, very strong, you know, code review. Like, and that, and that's where I, 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 I'm with you that Rust is quite compelling, mm -hmm. and, and I think you know we're going to see many people get on board. I mean, I, it took me a few months to to really understand, and then I realized, like, wow, this is yeah. a very big deal. Yeah, and and uh, Chrome uh, has just uh, announced that they're using REST into their code base as well. I'm not sure if it's Chromium or Chrome, but one one of the two. Uh, Unix is embedding REST as well. Uh, so yeah, it's it's very promising. I think more and more uh, developers should should definitely at least have a look at REST. Maybe you won't like it, but yeah, I would suggest at least to 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 have a look at it. Give it a try. Yeah, and also in terms of machine learning. One of the things I've been playing around with is that they're, they're, the most popular deep learning framework is PyTorch, and the bindings for Rust are very good. Oh like, yeah, and 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 I've had I've been able to, you know, use pre-trained models. I've been able to use the um, the the stable diffusion with PyTorch. Uh, I've been able to uh, train deep learning models with with Rust. I've been able to use GPU PyTorch. No, no difference in my opinion. Cool. I mean, may, maybe slightly, you know, you know, more bleeding edge. But if somebody wanted to do high performance deep learning, yeah, and, and get all of the benefits of Rust, my experience has been extremely positive for PyTorch Rust. Nice, cool. Well, um, yeah, I think we we covered a lot of really cool topics. Do do do? Is there anything else you wanted to to share with people or? or give them links to things or, uh, or yeah things. yeah if you can give the link to my new youtube channel i'm trying to do uh, to showcase how you could use rust so for instance uh, the, the the new video will come with test container and rust and how to to really test your, your different things uh, i've i've created a video about how to develop a aws lambda in rust graphql in rust as well so yeah i'm okay. trying to, to 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 contribute to the community and uh, and to to share my rest uh, enthusiasm I, I would say yeah we, well we could even just throw it into this chat and i'll also put in there like what, what is what is your channel or if you throw it into the comments right here i think okay let's let's me do that yeah in the chat here yeah i think if you throw it in here it will go to multiple locations all right I've just pasted it. Oh, in comments, maybe. Oh, oh, yeah. So, so let me copy this. Here we go. I'll put it here. Yeah, comments exactly. Yeah, and then we just throw it right here, and I'll also put it into places when I yeah, that's awesome. Sure. But, but it's yeah, that's great. I think we need more people evangelizing the the Rust solutions because I I think people feel a little bit overwhelmed. They're like, oh, you know, it's so hard to program with Rust. But as to your point. I, I think as people start to realize how, that you can build pretty much not only the same things you can do with an interpreter language, but in fact, a deeper uh, selection of choices. Yeah. 
And 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 yeah, I, I would conclude maybe by saying it. Don't 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 be shy. Uh, try. Of course, you're not going to be a Rust expert. Like I've started to learn Rust like six months ago, so I'm definitely not an expert uh, yet. I I hope to 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 come with more and more experience. But you should try it. Of course, no one writes perfect code, so. Yeah, just try experiments. If you have time to share to the community, that's wonderful as well. And it's great if you want to contribute to 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 open source uh, and repo in Rust. That's a good way of learning Rust to get feedback from real experts in in Rust. That's a good way also to 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 learn more and to to be better at what we're doing every day. So yeah, yeah, I agree. I think there's no no better way to learn a language than to just make stuff. Yeah, and, and you're right. Like. So we probably have a similar amount of Rust experience. And I I felt like I try to make a few different projects every week. Sometimes I get two, three or four projects in a day, but generally I'll, I'll, I'll maybe like make a few different projects yeah. in a week. And it's just, that's that's how I learn. It's just yeah. more I'm just going through and I'm building stuff. Yeah. And yeah, just read the doc, read the, read the blog. Uh, I'm still discovering uh, a lot of different things. So last week I've discovered that uh, an empty vector will be, Evaluated as none, so there is no point of uh, writing an optional vector if uh, if it's empty. So it's small tricks, but uh, it's it's good to keep learning. Like that. every day, I feel like I'll learn, and I want to keep that way. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some stuff that I want to learn that I haven't played with yet in Rust. Like I would say tracing. I've only played a little bit with, but I want to get better at tracing. I also want to get better at. Um, the benchmarking there's some tools that that you can you can look at the calls and see you know what's slow like you know like a um heat like a one of those heat map type tools have you played with some of those no but it's definitely what i like the most about uh, new languages is look at the uh, performance uh, cpu performance and timing performance so uh, yeah i would definitely have a look at that cool well, yeah, it was great talking to you. I'm sure we'll talk again in the future. Yeah. Hopefully I, I, I was able to share you with a wider selection of people and they'll subscribe to your channel. And that's, that's, that's very nice from you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I have a lot of fun uh, explaining what I'm doing and what I'm believing. Uh, maybe people won't agree with me, but that's, that's, that's life. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much and uh, have a very good day. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.